the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. We'll help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub podcast. I'm your host, Michael Camp. Our goal of this podcast is to help anyone who struggles with aspects of their Christian fundamentalist or evangelical faith, or who have family or friends whose fundamentalist faith impacts them. And we also help people who are spiritual, but not religious. And we provide historical, empathetic, and encouraging content that helps people come to terms with their religious experiences and find a love-affirming path forward. Our content helps set you free from fear, spiritual abuse, disillusionment, and religious misinformation. And today, we have a very special treat. I have with me today our guest, Julie Ferwerda. She's the author of Raising Hell, Christianity's Most Controversial Doctrine Put Under Fire. Julie, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And I love the description of your podcast. Everything that you said resonates greatly with me and my journey. Great. I know we have similar journeys. And, uh, you know, when we get into this conversation, it's kind of like we're going to have a barbecue today. We're going to put this <laughs> thing under fire. And That's right. uh, we're going to speak about your experiences and uh, how you came to write this book, where it took you, how it's impacted people and what your future plans are. But before we get started in that, I wanted to kind of tee up our conversation and uh, uh, kind of understand so people can understand our relationship, uh, where where we met and et cetera. Do you remember how we met and uh, what we what, where that was? Uh, as as far as I can remember, um, we both had an interest, a growing interest in deconstructing some of our religious fundamentalism. And I believe that you had a blog that I, uh, it was on universalism and I, I found it. I don't remember exactly how just during one of my searches and I made a comment. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember you, you made some comments on it and, and uh, we had a little conversation there and I don't remember after that how it happened, but I remember eventually you and your husband, Steve, we got on the phone together and had a nice conversation because I was like, really, I really needed to find people like you who was going through the same thing. I was questioning, mm -hmm. and, and that topic was hell, but I was questioning other things. And it was really cool to find you, a former, uh, an evangelical who was thinking like me. And, uh, and then uh, eventually, um, of course, we took that trip to Yellowstone. And mm. uh, <laughs> good times. <laughs> yes. And I love that picture. You have a picture of your book, uh, like you're hanging from a cliff. And I remember Steve taking that picture. Um, and uh, and then also at the Wild so many Goose good Festival. pictures actually. I was just going to say so many good pictures came out of that trip when you and your wife uh, met us in Wyoming yeah, and right. we went on the Beartooth Pass trip right. and then down into Yellowstone. But um, do you remember that night that we were staying in that little inn and we went across the street and there was like to try to find food and drink and there was like a crowd of young people all dressed up in costumes and we got them to pose with us holding our book. It was so fun. That, that's right. It was like a costume party and they're all dressed up. And so we just kind of entered, entered into the, the party and got a photograph of, 
of uh, you holding up your book or something. That was really cool because you were giving out your book to everyone. I remember we met a motorcycle gang and you gave out your book to them. <laughs> I'm still using those pictures. Those turned out to be like phenomenal. Yeah. And I just remember too that young crowd, there were several of them there who had gone through a religious fundamental upbringing and they were very interested and we had some really oh, good discussions right. that night. That's right. Yep. So, and then, and then we were at Wild Goose West together and um, uh, Wild Goose Festival, if people don't know that, uh, it's usually on the East Coast, but they had one uh, summer where they had one on the West Coast and we showcased our books there. And I was, I was, I've, I've been able to speak at Wild Goose a couple times now. And last summer I spoke on this topic partially, uh, debunking hell and some other things, mm -hmm. but uh, that was fun. And so we want to get into um, your book and what you're doing now. And I want to start off by just asking you what started you on the journey to question the doctrine of hell? Well, you know, when you look back on things like this, it's easier to start seeing that, you know, God or the universe or whatever you want to call the divine source planting seeds in your path to open your mind. And it takes after the indoctrination and the way that, you know, we're so traumatized by fear of questioning, even though we don't realize it, um, it takes an opening process. But what, what I can say were the main things that led to me questioning hell were um, back in, I believe it was 2008, I started studying some Messianic Jewish websites and uh, listening to Messianic Jewish teachers talk about meanings in the Bible. And I realized how far away the Western mind is from intent of scriptures and how twisted our, you know, a lot of our verses and doctrines became not having the, the Jewish perspectives or lenses on scriptures. And so that first opened my mind that things weren't what they seem with the Bible interpretations in church. And then it was early 2009, I was studying all these things with a friend and she stumbled across a universalist website that had a bunch of verses. And, you know, the first one she sent me was as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made, all will be made alive, but each in his own order. And this website was making a case for universalism and that there is no hell. And I was really concerned at first when she sent me this first because I'd had a sister who got like off into a kind of a cult situation and you know at that time you're raised in church just to be so afraid of anything that diverges off of the narrative of your of your cultural indoctrination and statements of faith and everything but she and I decided if we really trusted God and to keep us, you know, safe on a safe path or whatever, that we should have the freedom to explore some of these questions. And we decided to look a little further and it just opened a, a portal within me where all of a sudden things came flooding in to show me both verses in the Bible where God declared plainly to, that uh, he planned to save all as well as um, the, deconstruction process of the doctrine of hell like the more i looked into it the more i realized it had no basis in any kind of authoritative or orthodox standpoint whether in history or even in scripture in you know the greek or hebrew languages and i realized most of the modern bible translations completely miss in or uh mistranslated you know words and anyway, the more I looked, the more inconsistencies and the more holes and flaws in the doctrine. And um, I will just also add in there that I had a, a daughter at the time who had a very deep love for God and a real deep faith. And throughout her enti entire childhood, she was always questioning me on hell. And I was always giving her, you know, the old platitudes of, you know, God is loving and just, but he has to give us a choice to send ourselves to hell. <laughs> I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, you know, harshly, but I was always giving her the usual answers that we hear in church. And even to my own ears, they sounded so lame. Um, so anyway, her, yes, uh, her voice can, just came. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was going to say that, uh, 
I I understand what you're saying. There's a lot of pat answers that get people give, and there's a you know there's a uh, a line of thought where people say, oh um, you know, actually God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to go there. They you know because they reject Christ or whatever. So, but it's like you say, if you unpack those things, they don't really make sense, and they don't even line up with scripture. Well, and the ultimate go-to pat answer that they always come back to if you're you know, in church questioning things too intently or um, stubbornly is they always come back to some things we just have to accept by faith and God's ways are above our ways. And you basically right. have to dismiss reason in order to accept those answers. And just that's, to me, that's kind of the, now looking back, the epitome of control that they have of the indoctrination is you can't really question because their last answer is you just have to accept it by faith. It doesn't make sense, but just accept right, it. Exactly. Because of too much questioning is, it seems to them that it's unspiritual or you're not believing the Bible or, or whatever. So yeah, there, that, that's, that's definitely the attitude. Um, I've always said that there's um, four uh, major um, uh, reasons to question hell. And the, one of them is an emotional reason. Uh, like we, we we know someone or maybe someone from another religion and you know we love them and we can't imagine them going to hell it doesn't make any sense just because they've been brought up in this other faith and they they can't accept christianity even though we've we've told them you know the gospel or whatever another reason is logical you know you like you said it doesn't make sense when you when you really unpack it and then there's the biblical reasons you mentioned some of those, you know, like this is mistranslated or we've misinterpreted this. And then there's the historical, you know, yes. like you really look at the history Well, the early church, you know, uh, they, they didn't believe in hell. They believed in universal restoration, most of them. So there's all these reasons behind it. Well, it's funny you bring up those four angles because I actually, use all of those angles in my book and i add one more to it that you might want to put in your arsenal and that is the jewish perspectives you know these are also very um supportive when you look at the jewish lenses on scriptures which are you know obviously we have modern jewish lenses but it's still a tradition handed down through their faith and they don't they don't believe in hell or teach hell yeah, that was one of the things that struck me was that the Old Testament doesn't even teach hell. It talks about uh, Sheol uh, or Hades in the Greek, but Sheol in the Hebrew, which is really mm -hmm. just the place of the dead, both the righteous and the unrighteous. So that's, a, that's very interesting. Um, well, and just to add to that, you know, half of my book is devoted to the Jewish perspectives that teach that all people will be saved through the pictures, like the feasts, the harvest, and the covenants are all declarations that God will restore everyone and everything. So, and they're beautiful when you understand them. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that your book does get into that. And uh, that's a, a fascinating angle that we really aren't taught in, in most churches. Um, uh, so um, as we get along uh, and we start looking at your journey, why don't you share with us some of the uh, milestones and the stages that you went through in the process uh, to finally reject this doctrine? Oh man, my milestones begin in, in my youth. Um, I grew up in a very hell preaching church. It was the Nazarene church. And every week the preacher was up there, you know, spreading fear about how you could lose your salvation. And if you even went to bed that night and you hadn't confessed all your sins for the day, you were going to go to hell. And oh my they, used gosh. To, they used to show that terrible movie to the youth every year. Um, oh um, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, the one uh, about the end times. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Where back. the, where the girl is <laughs> thief, left thief behind. in the night. Thief in the thief night. In the right? night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, they showed that to the youth at every turn. And um, so I would say my first milestone came about, and let me just add to that too. I had the same kind of father at home of this image of God. I had a, an abusive, angry, controlling, demanding father figure at home. And then the same thing at church. So needless to say, I was a pretty messed up, you know, kid in my mind and my heart. But when I was about 15, I was so traumatized by the doctrine of hell that 
I was always afraid of being left behind and I just lived in a, a state of kind of spiritual terrorism and I remember even one time I woke up in the morning to get ready for school and my mom wasn't there and it had snowed and I, I know how insane this sounds but I tried to call everybody I knew because I thought I'd been left behind because it was so uncharacteristic of my mom not to be there and I couldn't get a hold of anyone and I just remember you know this was probably when I was like 14 I I walked like three miles to school in a snowstorm crying the whole way thinking I was left behind Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I know. So, <laughs> I, had, I had one of those things too. Not, not as dramatic as that, but uh, uh, there was a moment when I thought it might be left behind and, I, and then I thought, no, no, that, that can't be. <laughs> but I think people go through this. Like I've talked to so many people who have the same kind of fear. But anyway, when I was about, actually, I think I was 16 because I was driving a car by myself and all of a sudden it, it was this, you know, sometimes when God speaks to you, it's this foreign voice in your thoughts where you're not even thinking about anything remotely close to that topic. And all of a sudden I was flooded with this piece that said, you're my daughter and I will never go back on that covenant and you're safe. And it was so um, convincing and reassuring. And it just flooded me so much that from that point on, I never questioned my salvation again, which was That's huge great. for me. Yeah, that's great. And then um, I would say another milestone for me of setting me up to understand this is I will just say starting in my 20s and in my first marriage, I really was a very injured person and not healthy at all. And I just remember I went through all of the or jumped through all the hoops of church. Like I was the most devoted evangelical you could imagine all my whole life, pretty much. I mean, I followed all the formulas. I was in church every Sunday. I was having my quiet times. I was leading Bible studies. I was, you know, working with the youth group. And I remember just having this really terrible uh, realization in my twenties that my faith wasn't working for me. And I remember telling a friend that I felt like a salesman who didn't believe in my own products because wow. love hadn't changed my heart. And I went through my twenties like this and into my, my early thirties, I went through a really traumatic and high conflict divorce that pretty much brought my life to ground zero. But for the first time I really understood grace and I, I really felt the grace of God in my life in a new way that I had never experienced before. And I say all these, you know, these milestones are important because when I look back over my life, I was being set up to um, be able to question what I'd always believed and be able to recognize the truth about God's character. So um, the next phase is, I guess you could just say I grew really restless in church. I never felt like I was really getting anything new out of it. It just always seemed regurgitated. I felt like, you know, this sounds prideful and I don't mean it that way, but I felt like most of the time I was above my teachers and it's just something about that model felt so wrong. And my husband and I, my second husband and I, and we stopped going to church probably, you know, four years before I came into this questioning of hell and I felt kind of liberated from that system in a really good way where I was able to kind of have some space around me to start thinking for myself and you know have the ability to start having some questions and um, I guess the last milestone before going into this questioning process that I had it was in the spring of 2008 I was walking in a rainstorm. It was probably like April and I was crying because just like in my twenties, I realized that for all of my seeking and all of my, you know, doing all the formulas, I still had no love in my heart. I didn't really feel like I loved people. I kind of felt dead inside and it was so painful to admit that I didn't love, but at the same time it was freeing because I felt like I needed to just put the responsibility back on God. And I just said, you know, if you want me to love, you have to change my heart. Like I can't, I can't muster up love for anybody. And I just don't know how to do it. And that was like April. And then fast forward, it was through that year, I started studying the Jewish perspectives. And it was the following February where I 
just had that huge breakthrough and I, I knew right away that this was a safe path and that it was God because so much, as soon as I knew it took me like two weeks to figure out that hell wasn't true. Literally. Really? Wow. It was so quick. Like it just, everything, every stone I turned over, it just crumbled beneath me, you know, as far as all these things that I had held. So, um, so strongly as truth and one by one it you know every cornerstone of this doctrine just fell and this love that i had never felt in my entire life just flooded in for all of humanity and i felt born again for the first time in my life and everywhere i went like i just wanted to love people so that's very cool yeah it was like you were ripe for it so you were like you had everything ready you had this I often say that people don't really change unless something um, painful happens or something very emotional happens in their life. And then they're willing to rethink things. And so it sounds like that's what you had. And then you were, when you actually looked at the evidence, you said in two weeks, you changed your mind because you were ripe. And, and then the evidence is really quite uh, strong against the doctrine of hell. But oh yeah. Most people don't aren't willing to look at it because they're not ready to look at it. So. Well, and I'm one of those people that you know I look back now and I can be kind of angry at all those people who just have to be certain and hang on to these doctrines and have so much pride and hip hypocrisy. But honestly, I had to be deconstructed and come to the end of myself the way I did because I had a lot of pride in in my certainty. And I, I became so embarrassed about that later, like just how I was everything that I didn't want to be. <laughs> I don't know. Right. You know yes. what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but I, I resonate with your story too, because uh, I, I was, mm -hmm. I, I dove off the deep end when I first, you know, I had a born again experience and I, in my, in, in my life, uh, I, uh, I experienced the love of God. But then, as I say, after a few years or, or not even a few years, a few months, I realized that the church was asking me to carry a lot of religious baggage. And uh, it was that religious baggage mm -hmm. that uh, uh, dra dragged me down. And um, I started rethinking things eventually. But I, you know, I drove off the deep end too. You said wow. that you know, all that stuff. I was in the youth group. Oh, you were I, a missionary too, right? I was in missionary Africa. for, yeah, mm -hmm. for seven years. We lived wow. in Africa. We were trying to reach Muslims. And that's the first wow. time that I encountered this, wait a minute, this doctrine is, does not make sense because according to my theology, most of these people I was working with and, and, and loving and my neighbors were going to hell because they weren't becoming Christians. And <laughs> it just didn't well, thank make God sense. You could question that though, because we were supporting like four different missionaries around the world at the time that we deconstructed this. And I went to them with the truth about hell and they were so invested in it as missionaries, like they'd given up their whole life's work. And they're like, you're telling me that the gospel is different. Like, what am I going to tell people they're saved from now? This is what I've completely invested my my life into so thank god you had the ability to you know like be authentic and truthful to your journey well it was partial i mean for me i questioned it and i and i i came to the conclusion that god can save people outside of christianity but mm -hmm. i still believed in hell wow. because that who was i to question i wasn't you know right. it's, it's in the bible supposedly at the time i didn't realize there were mistranslations and so True. forth so oh yeah so so it, i came became more inclusive and then it took another you know a decade or more for me to really uh look at it more closely but mm -hmm. you're right about people i mean uh i, I at one point i told my church i was honest because they were going to ordain me for a second time going off to the mission field and uh they said um uh don't we'll let you we'll ordain you but don't teach your inclusive belief right mm -hmm. i wasn't a universalist at the time but i was more inclusive right and so they told me not to teach it wow. and i just you know well okay you know i Fear just went cells. along I was invested in this. I, was, I wasn't going to stop and go, okay, well, I'm going to find another church to ordain me. It would be like going back to the draw, drawing board. We were ready to right. go to the mission field. So a lot, for a lot of what I'm saying is a lot of people will take their steps you have to take to kind of come out of it because it, you're, you're, you're tangled in this mess of, 
of doctrines and control. Well, and honestly, too, it unfolds in layers in your heart because at that time, those people were asking me, well, then what am I doing in my life's work if, if hell isn't true? And I didn't really have an answer for them yet. And it wasn't yeah. until years later right. that I realized, you know what, you could have kept doing your life's work and preached the real gospel because that's what gives life. That's the Eonian life or, you know, what's mistranslated as eternal life that Jesus talks about. And it's still valid what you're doing. It's just that it's not out yeah. of fear. It's out of love and right. restored you're, relationship and healing. Right. Yeah. You're not saved from, you know, we're not saving people from hell. We're saving people from to uh, relationship, right? We're saving people to into a love relationship and a love, a, a, a loving way of life where you feel you're, you're, you're loved as a person and you can love others and you don't have to, um, you know, compete and uh, we don't have to fear. Uh, it's a, it's a really love, a life affirming and love affirming uh, um, change that people can go through. You don't have to have health to help people. Mm, right. So true. So, um, so that's very interesting. Uh, the stages you went through um, uh, the milestones and then it, it happened very quickly for you. And what happened after that? How, how did your life change when you became, when you started believing in, in universal restoration of everyone? And, uh, you know, and, and like maybe you can unpack that a little bit. Like, how did it change spiritually, emotionally, in your relationships, et cetera? I cannot even begin to quantify how much my life has changed. Um, you know, obviously I said that for the first time I felt love in my heart, but how far reaching that is, is just an incredible journey. Um, I guess many things I would just like to add to this is, you know, yes, I felt love. And after that, I went on to become a nurse. I went to back to school and got a double bachelor's in nursing and social sciences. And I worked in a hospital setting for four years. And honestly, like I felt how that love changed my heart toward all of my patients. In the past, I was just so dead inside toward people and I didn't have compassion, but this world, this new worldview that I had made me absolutely love all of my patients. And I felt them feeling me loving them. And it was just this kind of transcendent relationship that I had with people that I can't even put into words. Um, but then I have to say too, it changed me because since then I feel like the divine source or God, um, has been unraveling all the ways that I have lived in fear from my religious upbringing and indoctrination. And it's like peeling back an onion. It's like you get rid of the fear of hell and then you didn't realize, you know, how many things were behind it that you still have fear about and how, dualistic your view on the world is you know how you're trying to polarize everything into black or white instead of living more in that area of gray which actually turns out to be the wise way and the way that you know probably jesus and the mystics lived is is more in that balanced and not seeing everything so so polarized but um i would just say i've been able to be completely fearless in questioning and going, you know, turning over any rock of interest and living truly by the spirit. Like now I feel like I truly live in a spirit led faith based journey where I don't live in certainties. And that was one of the things early on I felt God saying to me is, are you willing to live in questions? And it was pretty terrifying at first giving up all my anchors and just agreeing to live in the not knowing. And let the universe, you know, unfold knowledge and a path for me, but it's been the most beautiful, incredible discovery path that I could ever have imagined for myself. I mean, every year gets better than the last in the ways I feel the spirit leading me into beautiful opportunities and mysteries and understanding. And what's really funny here, Michael, is how in my past, I was so taught to fear new age people and just dismiss them and, and think that, you know, that's so stupid, all this woo-woo stuff that they believe in. But the biggest surprise to me has been that the spirit has led me into what I would pr 
probably then have considered a new age path, although it's not, that's kind of a misnomer because the new age philosophies are actually ancient philosophies, but I've been led down this path of understanding where I realized all the judgments I made against a lot of the new age philosophies were so misguided and judgmental. And I really had no idea what I was talking about, or, you know, when I made judgments and I just, I feel like I'm on this wondrous path of knowing that the universe really is this magical enchanted place. And, you know, God wants to open our eyes to how connected we are to it and how many beautiful mysteries there are to be experienced. And, you know, science is even starting to prove so much of this through quantum, quantum stuff, you know, with particles and waves and, <laughs> um, Anyway, I would just say I, I'm not even the same person I was 10 years ago in any way, and it's beautiful. I'm, I feel free. I feel powerful. And, you know, I guess that's one other quick thing I would just say is I feel like religion covers up the personal power that we're being invited to. I mean, Jesus talked about this, but we don't focus on those verses about how we are co-creators and we are gods or divine we carry the divine spark and religion tried to cover that up in us so that we didn't feel empowered to do anything and i feel like this journey of deconstructing is is also constructing back into that personal power that we have as sons and daughters of god so yeah right i you, relate to that yeah i was just gonna say what's your journey been like in this like do you relate to what i'm saying oh absolutely um you know first of all, it opens doors, you know, you feel safe, like, oh, okay, you know, because there is that fear-based religion, that faith, you know, it's like, oh, gee, yeah. I just heard, heard, what's his name, um, Chan, uh, I forgot his name now, um, Chan, he's a, uh, oh, Francis Chan, Francis Chan, questioning hell, or questioning hell, isn't it, yeah, or well, erasing, but, erasing but, hell, was yeah, he wrote book? a book, uh, uh, yeah, he wrote that book, but he recently said in a, in a sermon, you know, uh, yeah, we have a loving father who who loves us, but we also have a, a a a judgmental God who may damn us. And so they have, you know, believing in hell is kind of like you believe in a two-faced God. You believe on the one hand he's forgiving, but on the other hand he's not, because if you don't do the right things, believe the right thing about Jesus, you could go into eternal destruction, uh, eternal damnation. And no, with no way of getting out. And so there's this, there's that fear behind it. So when you, when you come into the realization that the, that God is really, a, there really is a, such a thing as total unconditional love. Um, and there is no hell and that people will ultimately be restored. Um, they, 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 they'll be uh, held account for, you know, we're all held account to, to what we do that to harm others. But God's goal is to restore people uh, not to exact retribution on people. So, so anyways, it, it helps, it opens up your mind to, and heart to question and not feel fear. You go through um, stages where, like you said, um, you begin to accept other people just the way they are. And, um, you know, not, not have that fear of, of being, you know, like a oh, new age people or new age philosophy and just people, uh, are, are, mm -hmm. when you really unpeel the onions on people, we're all the same and we all have the same fears and, and mm -hmm. we, we respond to love the same and, and so forth. And people who are really evil, usually uh, when you unpeel them, you'll find out that they were abused or they had something yep. going on there in their life that made them and shaped them the way they are. They didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I think I'm going to be a terrible person, you know? Right. <laughs> so uh, we're all in it the together. And, and that's what I love is that we are all, we're all one humanity and we're all made, I believe, in the image of, of a loving God. So we have that connection. Well, and as far as your comment about being held accountable, like I used to early in my days of deconstruction, I still believed in some kind of a judgment to hold people accountable. Cause obviously, you know, everybody wants to say, well, do you just get off scot-free? But if two things on that one is if you look at the, the theme of the new Testament, it's repeated four times that you could sum up the entire new Testament and the law said Jesus with these four words, love God, love people. Like that is our complete responsibility to this 
transformation process that we're here to experience. And um, I've since abandoned any idea of like a judgment, like a judgment age or a judgment that we have to go through because I've realized that the only kind of judgment that changes us is from the inside. And therefore, I believe the white throne judgment is actually something that happens in our hearts when we awaken to what we've done to harm others and to live out of that place of separateness, which I believe now is the definition of sin is just the behaviors that we do that are caused from our perception of separation from God and others. And so when we get rid of that and, you know, when, when God changes our hearts and gives us a heart of flesh for our hearts of stone, suddenly we have that aha moment where we know what we've done to cause hurt and it causes deep remorse and change within us. So to me, that's what judgment is. Yeah, I agree with that totally. It's, you've articulated it very well. Um, when I say hold people account, um, I think it. I think of um, along those same lines. Um, you know, uh, a couple things. One is our circumstances. If we if we live a life where we're harming others, uh, the circumstances are going to, you know. Uh, form around us where it's going to cause pain in our life and we're going to have to you know uh, mm-hmm. face the fact that we're being irresponsible with our life and harming other people and and however that comes about it does eventually come about and then you can choose to to make a change so yeah it's like you said it's people aren't just like you know let off scot-free but there's a way the universe or god or however you want to say it yeah uh, uh, holds, you know, gets people to under, to see um, uh, how they're missing the mark, and, and as far as loving others goes, and that's really the key. Loving, like you said, uh, love is the fulfillment of what God desires. Well, and um, speaking of living in questions, I mean, this is where we we don't have a lot of certainty about how this looks, but you know, the New Testament talks about in the ages to come, and so somehow whether it's through some type of reincarnation or something, and we don't have to go down that path, but obviously this lifetime isn't our only chance to figure this out and, you know, know what we've done to hurt others and, and try to make amends. So somehow we are given other opportunities as we grow through this, this experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So, um, very good. You've, you've, you've explained how you, you've kind of, open up your mind to loving people more and, and feeling safer, et cetera, and getting rid of the fear-based religion. What, what, what would you say to people who, who are going through that right now? Perhaps uh, we can imagine people who are maybe in, in fundamentalism, uh, in an evangelical church, but they're, they're, they're having some of these same questions, but they're not, they're not, you know, ready to kind of step out and really look at it carefully, or uh, other people who, you know, are far, further along the path. And, you know, what kind of advice would you give those people? Uh, sometimes these people are secretly questioning things, and sometimes they're publicly questioning things. You know, how, how would you help them along their journey? I think the greatest advice I can give to anyone is be true to yourself. And one of the big ways that religion has damaged us is to tell us that our hearts are wicked and they're deceitful and we can't trust them. But I feel like as you venture into this journey, it's the opposite. And we've been taught to deny our instincts and our reason and faith and reason should always go together. Not, they should never be in opposition and any kind of a God who's worth his or her own weight should first of all, know that you've been created to have questions and to reason. And second of all, expect you to use your ability to question and reason. Otherwise, this God is insecure and weak and, you know, impotent. So be true to your questions. Um, Ask yourself, you know, some, the hard questions. Don't be afraid to, to, um, seek out the truth. And, you know, there's a verse that says these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Mm -hmm. honestly, if you're going to church and you're going through the motions of just going along to get along and you have, but you have these questions in your heart, you're actually, you're a hypocrite. You're honoring God with your lips, but your heart isn't in it. And Mm -hmm. 
what God wants is our authenticity, our honesty, our, you know, God wants us to have the safety and the wisdom and the courage to follow our questions and to know that this journey of faith is meant to be faith and not certainty. So I would say be true to that. That's good. That's excellent. Um, I, you reminded me of, you know, you know, the, there's the doctrine of hell and it, it, it's, it's tied to many other doctrines like the doctrine of, of original sin that, you know, the belief mm -hmm. that everyone is depraved and mm -hmm. terrible and we're, and we're, our default destination is hell because we're in sin until we accept Christ, et cetera. And that's, that's something that really uh, needs to be dealt with because uh, when you believe that you feel you can't tr even trust your own questions. You can't mm. trust yourself. You're, yeah. And, and that Wasn't, can be very diabolical. I think the doctrine of original sin was Augustine's invention too. So that wasn't even in the Jewish mind, original sin. It's totally a man-made Western doctrine that should be. Oh, Western. absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Jewish, if I'm, uh, the way I look at it, the Jewish view was, yeah, we have, we're, we're all not perfect, but people, people sin, but we're not, we're still made in the image of God. It's just, it's not like, if, if you're a completely depraved person, how can you be made in the image of God? It just doesn't make any sense. And really, our whole experience here is God waking up to God. It's, it's the imminent God, meaning the God living in and through its creation, waking up to itself as a divine being. And, you know, in the Jewish philosophy, the, especially the Jewish Kabbalah, which is the mysticism, you've got two natures of God. You've got the imminent and the transcendent. And, you know, the transcendent is the one that's already aware that it's God. And it's that, you know, divine intelligence that's kind of above and beyond creation and already perfect. But then you've got the imminent God who is the becoming God that's not yet perfect, but becoming perfect through us. So it's important to know that we really truly are part of God. Right, right, right. So what, what, let's go off on that little rabbit trail a little bit. Um, the, the Jewish um, uh, background to the scriptures, what, what are a couple of main things that you learned that help you change your view of, of the Bible or God because of the, the way that Jewish people looked at scripture and, and, and the worldview? Well, what I just was saying about the imminent and the transcendent God is actually the most transformational takeaway that I got from studying the Kabbalah. And the reason why is because, first of all, when we have evil and suffering on this plane, which is usually the next thing you question after hell is why is there so much evil and suffering? I think it's very helpful to understand that the evil and suffering is caused by the imminent God, meaning God is not removed from our suffering and from evil. It's God in us that is still waking up to what love is that is causing and experiencing evil and suffering along with us and as us. And the other way that it's really helped me is we are microcosms of the divine. Like we are created in the image of God. We're a small fractal or microcosm of this. And so I've got an imminent and a transcendent self. And that, that has helped me in my transformation more than anything to, to live in this beautiful tension of my transcendent self that knows no matter what I go through, that everything's going to be okay and life is good and I am loved and nothing can hurt me. But then I've got my and you can think of this in a picture as your butterfly self, you know, just out there flitting along in the sunlight, dancing between flowers and just knowing everything works out and you're free and, and you have this perspective of objectivity. But then you've got your imminent self at any given, it's simultaneous time, which is your caterpillar self slogging through the mud and not understanding what the heck is going on and it's painful and <laughs> right, right. sad. And, you know, you can accept yourself on these two levels where you're hurting and you're throwing a tantrum and you're not arrived. And at the very same time, you are already arrived. And it's very transformative. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that struggle, right? Mm -hmm. you, sometimes, sometimes you feel like, 
you're just slogging around and you don't know what's going on and then you have and then other times you feel like oh I, you know I, I do feel that security and that comfort but it it, it can it's come and go too. it's right yeah well and let me just recommend a book for anyone who wants more of this like the best book I've ever read that's still in the top 10 and I'm on this topic on the Kabbalah it's still in the top 10 of my all-time favorite books is called The Secret Life of God by Rabbi David Aaron and this book is like dessert from cover to cover. It unpacks all the mystical views of God in these beautiful pictures. And it was, that book was really, really good. And the other one I would recommend if people are interested is, um, oh, it's by Jay Michelson. Um, I'll have to look it up for you. What's the name of the first book, the, the author of the first book you said, Rabbi who? Rabbi David Aaron. David Aaron is the first book. Okay. Yeah. Secret Life of God. Secret Life of God. And then Jay Michelson, um, it was um, Everything is God, the Radical Path of Non-Dual Judaism. Everything is God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both, Both of those books really unpack a beautiful worldview that have transformed my life. That's, that's cool. Um, so, uh, you had said that people who are kind of struggling along and maybe have questions about hell or other things, they should not doubt their, their questions and, and how, how, you know, what would you say to them who, um, they, uh, maybe they're getting a little pushback if they're starting to get public about things and sharing their doubts and they're getting that pushback from, from people you're going down a dangerous path. You better be careful, mm-hmm. Julie. Ray, what would you say to those people who are encountering, encountering that and they're still unsure about which direction to go? Well, a lot of this comes down to personality. You know, some people are people pleasers and some people like to take a stand on something. And I feel like every person has to hammer this out for themselves of how they're going to handle it. But the thing you can know is that you're not going to be able to please everyone on this. And if you want to be true to yourself, you're going to have to go through some growing pains. And that means you're going to have some loss of relationships. Um, In my life, I pretty much lost all of my church friends, but I have to say that it opened the door to meeting people who were questioning and more authentic in their spiritual journey and who I could truly grow with. And like I had said before, I felt so stagnant in church and with my Christian friends, because we just talked about the same things over and over. And I was always like, there's got to be more to God than this. You know, we've been there, done that. And now I am surround, you know, I've sought after people who made this courageous journey and I have these beautiful stretching growing relationships where we can share ideas fearlessly and so i would just say you know if you're trying to be true to your your questions and and your um your need to go down a more deconstructing path or whatever surround yourself with people who are doing the same or who have done the same and they will give you a lot of courage and don't be afraid of loss because really if you think about it all of the people throughout time including jesus and including joseph and david and you know people throughout the bible they had to give up a lot and the funny thing is i used to think that you know in my old evangelical lenses i used to think that giving up meant that i was separating myself from them but i came to realize that the true gospel divides because they are unable to hear how free and inclusive God's love is. And they, they move and distance from me. It was never about me creating the sword. It's them creating the sword. Yeah. Good way to put that. Yes. I like that. And so you can, you just, you have to be willing to lose some things to be true to your journey, but you find that God gives so much more back that you're not really losing anything. You're gaining so much. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that can be a hard time. I, I asked uh, Kathy Escobar, do you know her? She wrote Fa- um, Faith Shift. Uh-uh. Uh, excellent book, by the way, Faith mm. Shift. Um, but um, you can actually, you can go back and hear my interview with her. But she said, 
um, you know, you, you have to learn to, and you said the same thing in other words, you have to learn to live with disapproval. In other words, people are going to misunderstand you. They're going mm -hmm. to disapprove of what you're, what you're saying. And you have to disentangle yourself, yourself from that. And just say, well, you know what? It's just natural for them to disapprove of me because of their background and don't take it personally. And like you said, it can actually make you stronger uh, because that's, you know, we, ha we have to go through life lear learning how to do that all the time, so. Well, we had a great example in Jesus, too. He was the most misunderstood person of his cohorts. And well, that's true. Yeah. Right. He died that's, alone, basically. Yep, yep. Everybody ran away. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yep. He, he mm -hmm. taught us. He paved the way. Um, so uh, one final question. Um, I'm curious about what your plans are. I know you, you're living in Puerto Rico now, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you're, um, I think you told me that you were going to, uh, or you've uh, going to stop nursing, the nursing uh, track, job, job track, at least for a while, and you're going to pursue something else. So tell us what your plans are for the future. Well, I've been asking God or the universe, you know, over the last few months, like, what's next for me on the radar? Because I, I've had a strong feeling that my I don't even really know it yet what the nursing thing was about like that even was one day I was sitting in my living room and literally a voice boomed out of heaven and said, you're going to become a nurse. <laughs> so I don't feel like I've necessarily seen the full uh, purpose in that, but I do feel like I was taken out of hospital nursing once I had my experience and I've just been asking, you know, what's next and the incredible energy surrounding this message and raising hell has just been resurfacing in the last few months where people are just coming out of the woodwork, talking about it on YouTube and Facebook and, you know, asking me for interviews. And I realized that's where I was being directed. You follow when you're following spirit, you follow where the energy is. And so I never really with going back into school shortly after publishing the book the first time, I never really had the chance to build out this message, even though it kind of made its way, you know, on its own, but how much more I could do. And I, I just feel very pushed in the direction of making videos and I've developed or recently started a Facebook discussion group and I would like to do some speaking in the future. And um, I, I guess this vision's unfolding right now for this. Like I know I'm being sent in this direction. The world is ripe for being liberated from some of the mental and spiritual captivities. Like people need to come into a sense of personal power and stop the fear. And this is a, a really big first step. So I'm still kind of, you know, seeing how this vision is unfolding. But one interesting thing also is that in the last year or so I was able to get the Spanish version completed and now I'm oh. living in a Spanish speaking country. So I have a feeling cool. there's something in the works for that as well. Uh, Puerto Ricans are very bound up in fear and religion. So interesting. That's interesting. Okay. So yeah, yeah that sounds like a, an exciting uh, adventure that you're, that you're forging. Um, and um, I know that uh, we spoke earlier uh I'm on the board of the Christian Universalist Association and uh, your name came up and we'd love to have you speak at our next conference, which is probably going to be next year with the COVID-19, unfortunately, but uh, we'll, we're going to be reaching out to you. Hopefully you'll be able to join us. Um, I, 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 I have the same vision in some respects uh, as well. So maybe we could team up sometime and yeah. <laughs> do things together. That'd be cool as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And then uh, another thing was, uh, I understand you have a, another book in the, in the oven. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that worldview I was telling you about, that's really changed my, my understanding of a lot of things. I feel like for the last 10 years, I haven't been able to do any writing with the incredible demands of a nursing career, but I've been working on a book in my heart on making sense out of evil and suffering in light of a good God. And I feel like once people allow themselves out of the box of, you know, 
of fear where they aren't safe asking questions and they, but they finally deconstruct hell and finally they're able to start reasoning things out for themselves and asking all the hard questions. It seems like the next place people go is a real distrust of God with the evil and suffering in this world. And I feel like I've been given some really unique perspectives on this that I would like to write about in, in a book. And I'm, I've actually been starting on it and I have, um, I've set up a Patreon account. And so this year, I don't know how long it'll take me to write it. It usually takes me about a year, but I've, uh, told my Patreon donors that they will get a chapter a month as just to hold me accountable to getting this on paper over the next year. So starting in May, I'm going to start releasing a chapter a month from this book. Oh, very cool. So, yeah. so, but it reminds me, what, do you have a website we could just, uh, put out there for people to, to check out more of your, you know, what your upcoming book is and how to get on that list of uh, people who are getting a, a chapter, et cetera. I have a few ways people can kind of follow my work. I don't have anything particularly um, on this new book. However, if people are interested in the Raising Hell book, I, they can find it at raisinghellbook.com. And I have a, a website for women over 40 where I'm um, it's basically a, a website devoted to holistic empowerment over fear and unhealth you know in every way spiritually mentally emotionally physically and that that's 40fitfree.com and that's the number For, 40 number 40 40fitfree.com 40fitfree yeah, fit. mm -hmm. okay so we got 40 40fitfree.com yep and we got raisinghellbook.com. Cool. Yeah. And if they want to check out the YouTubes, they can just go to youtube.com forward slash raising hell. All right. And then also you can just search raising hell on YouTube. Great. All right. Very cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that book. Um, I, I definitely have found that to be true that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we talked earlier about how uh, deep, getting out of this fear-based religion kind of sets you free to, to trust people and not, not fear people and, and understand them better. And so I had, uh, you know, I had realized that I was judging certain types of people, agnostics, atheists, mm -hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, oh, they don't believe in God. And, you know, the Bible says you're a fool if you don't believe in God and that kind of a thing. And then you realize, wait a minute, <laughs> the reason why they don't believe in God most of the time it's because they rejected the the god of religion and hell and all the stuff we're talking about and i and think they, we're all atheistic to that god <laughs> yeah and so but but then then and then there is a big void it's like well if that's not true then where do you go and and yeah and believe and and how do you handle the problem of evil so i respect people like that i don't understand i i, I uh i uh, i'm i'm right with them and uh and, uh, but I think that there are some answers to that, that problem of evil question, and it's a good question, and it needs to be, um, you know, addressed. And uh, we mm -hmm. don't have to have a battle over this, in my opinion. Oh, you know, the theists versus the atheists or whatever. But we just, you know, try to figure out what we uh, experience and what we've studied and, and, uh, and using science, et cetera. Uh, how the world works. And right. uh, this is one of the questions that needs to be answered. Right. So cool. Well, well thank Julie. You, thank you so much for this opportunity today. It's, I always love hearing your perspectives on these things too. And it's interesting how much our journeys have paralleled over these years that we haven't really been in touch as much. So. Yes. Yes. Right. And hopefully we'll be in touch more often. Um, so uh Thank you so much for joining us here at the Spiritual Brew Pub podcast. And uh, we um, will we'll be uh, posting this. And of course, you encourage you to share it on your, on your venues and uh, get the word out. And uh, we'll continue a conversation. And maybe, uh, you know, we'll have you on another time uh, after you write the, the next book and uh, have a conversation about that. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. Thanks, Julie. Uh, we'll see you next time, everyone, uh, on the Spiritual Brew Pub. Take care. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually 
after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.